0: welcome to the Legislate podcast a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property technology business building and contract drafting today i'm excited to have radhika shah on the show a property entrepreneur specialized in hmos and buy to lets. radhika is also sharing property tips and education via our instagram and youtube channel so this is going to be a very exciting episode radhika welcome to the show please can you introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, hi Charles, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure and I've been seeing all the great work that you've been doing and yeah, that's me.
0: (laughs) Great, you're in property, you're an entrepreneur, how long have you been in property and, and what got you started?
1: So I've been in property for three and a half years. I keep saying three and a half years, but I think it actually is three and a half years now. I randomly stumbled across an Instagram post and just started educating myself about it. And then my aunt, who's also in property and who are now my business partners, were looking at various properties. They had great connections as well. And there was an opportunity for me to buy my first property, literally, like, Three months um, into me even understanding what property is, or like the investment side of property, anyway. So yeah, I started really quickly, and I was grateful that I had a really good support system around me, and then. We decided to buy our own properties at the start. And then I don't know, maybe like it was timing or anything like that. Then we just decided to say, hey, let's do this together, make everything easier. And yeah, we just started a business together. And then we, yeah, we bought a few properties since. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Great. And what's been your favorite moment so far?
1: I think my favorite moment is when we finally got the keys for our first HMO, which was a bit of a roller coaster there was a few properties on the go we'd lost out on a few properties I think we had about six or seven properties that just didn't go our way and it was like the first property that we really wanted to make work and I think there was just so much behind it so much emotion behind it as well and it's quite devastating when you're so close on exchanging or anything like that or like getting a property and it just doesn't go through so yeah just getting that first HMO with my business partners
0: Well done. And what are the the key reasons that a property cannot go through?
1: So many reasons. It, It literally could be anything. The person decides not to sell anymore until you have signed a contract. Property is not yours, so anything could happen, anything in the searches could happen. You might not even have the finance for it, especially when you need to exchange. Some people might not have the finance, but anything could go wrong, or you might just decide you might want to pull out as well. You might have a better deal, or anything like that. So many reasons.
0: I see. And what would you wish you'd known before starting three and a half years ago?
1: One thing is the planning permissions per council because it differs between every single council and there was two properties that we were going through planning permission and obviously as an investor you you do put in the risk and you do pay for the planning permission but unfortunately Peterborough council aren't that open to to more than six bedroom HMOs so we did waste not waste two planning permissions if we knew that before we probably wouldn't have gone through that process and focused our time on finding the just six bed HMOs rather than going for sui generis.
0: And I know that each council has its own HMO licensing requirements. Obviously there's a mandatory licensing, but there's also selective or special depending on the council. Are they also open then in terms of, you you mentioned around planning permissions for six bedroom HMOs, do they indicate anywhere that they're not open to these or is this something that you had to find out the hard way?
1: So that was just for more than six bedrooms because you have to go through planning permission regardless if it's more than six, sorry, more than six people living in the house and we were planning for seven, eight bedrooms. One of the properties was nine bedrooms. So it really depends. And this is why it's so important to work with people in the council or work with other property investors who have invested in the area and have the knowledge and expertise if you don't have it, especially if you're starting out. But it's super, super important that you're following what each council are saying regarding that because they have to sign off they have to come in view the property they need to make sure everything is up to scratch basically and there is a checklist online per council that you can go in and basically use that as a tick box exercise as well but just working with building regulations and builders who are knowledgeable in hmos within specific areas of the area
0: i see so quite a maze to navigate
1: if you get it wrong, it's a costly exercise if you get it wrong. So super important that you're putting the time and effort to learn about specific areas before you go into HMOs.
0: That's useful insight. So where have you invested in?
1: <laughs> so a bit all over the place, though. We've got a couple in Burnley, we've got one in Peterborough, and we just bought a buy-to-let in Newcastle. So yeah, a little bit everywhere.
0: <laughs> Great. And, and so how do you manage those locations? Because you're currently based in London.
1: Yes I'm based in London so when I had my first property it was a cheap investment and I don't mean cheap investment but the entry cost was so low that it made it so much more affordable and everything just made sense essentially. I had a £20,000 council loan to refurbish that but when we set up the business we wanted to employ specific people who were specialists in those areas and that includes property sources, lettings agencies, refurb teams and if we can find one specific person who has the expertise in all of that who can essentially manage everything then that is what we're looking for. We're not looking for specific areas we're not looking for specific roads or postcodes or anything like that if it makes sense on paper and that it provides a hands-off kind of experience for us then we're happy to have a conversation with people but I'm a tough cookie sometimes and yes I love like working with other people but there's so many people where I've had conversations of like I don't think there's a fit here but then there are specific people where I'm like okay let's take a bit of a risk on this
0: yeah, I think especially if you are so far away, it's important that there is a good fit and relationship with someone on the ground. 100%. Yeah. So you've been at this now for three and a half years. What's the plan for the next you know, three, five, ten years?
1: To be honest, it's forever changing. And I think if, if you asked me six months ago, I would have said something completely different. If you asked me in six months time, I would have said something completely different. So our plan is just to grow our portfolio slowly, we are still all working full time. And I love my job, even if it does get hard sometimes. But I do love my job. And I love like what I do. And I love my team and everything. So for me, like it's growing our portfolio slowly, as we're building up our property for- portfolio, it is getting a little bit harder to manage everything, buying new properties, the refurb, the tenancy agreements, especially within HMOs, at such a high turnover of tenants, you've just got to be careful. And then sometimes like yesterday, the electricity in one of my houses just decided to turn off. So trying to get through to our energy provider and it took me like two hours. I asked my listings agency to call them and she got through within like five minutes. So there's so much behind the scenes that people don't see. And then once they start building up their portfolio, they still have to understand you've got to manage everything. You've got to oversee it. You can't just keep buying properties because so many problems are unexpected that you've got to make sure you've got processes to understand that you can manage it before you start buying loads of other properties.
0: So I guess it's growing patiently. Great. And so you mentioned HMOs, buy-to-lets. What are the key contracts that you interact with the most?
1: So the first one is because we do work with sources, we've got to make sure that we read through every single term and point in their contract to say, this is what the relationship is gonna be, this is what they need from us, but more importantly, this is what they are gonna provide for us. And here's the outlines, etc., of everything. So one thing that we do, obviously the heads of terms, which can be quite flexible of how much we're gonna put into it and how much they're gonna put into it, what their responsibilities are, when certain things are gonna get done with the legal aspect of exchange and completion. Those are some things that we can't really control because we don't know when. Those specific dates are going to happen, but everything else in terms of the refurb, when they're going to send us pictures, when they're going to communicate with us, getting schedules of work, everything is in that first contract. The second contract is with our lettings agency to make sure exactly the same, the heads of terms, this is exactly when they're going to provide, they're going to keep me updated weekly meetings and everything is stated on the contract because if anything does go wrong then I can say, hang on, you sign a contract to say this is the level of service that you're going to provide, which is super key. You get that up front rather than problems occurring later down the line and you haven't signed a contract yeah. to say what's that grey area.
0: Yeah. I think being clear up front is, is critical in everything in life almost. And so with those heads of terms, especially while well, with property sources or letting agents Are there any key objections or or key areas that you find negotiating?
1: So sometimes it could be with the payment upfront, especially for working with someone new. I think most of the causes that some property sources do put is there's a non-refundable fee. And that's something that I genuinely don't ever pay unless I've met that person. I'm super, super happy. So the first time I work with a property sourcer, I negotiate that has to be refundable because I don't like the property. I don't like you. I'm not going to work with you. But I'm also not going to travel, waste my time traveling up there as well, because that's already my commitment. I'm already traveling paying taking time out of my day to go and visit you so surely that's some sort of commitment but if i don't like the property i'm not going to put x amount and it's not a cheap investment to make especially when you're speaking to other property sources i don't want to waste anyone's time but I need to make sure this is the right investment for us as well because you can put a £1,000 here, £1,500 here and there, but then slowly that's going to add up to a deposit which we can't really afford anyway and no one can afford to lose that money. So that's one thing that we try to negotiate. Secondly, with the Lessing's agency side, it's so difficult because we're so far away and I don't want to be getting a call in the middle of the night to say, hey... This is what's happened. So we just want to make sure everything is put into place and we have contingencies to put in place. So if anything, after 5pm happens, they have to say so unless it's a big emergency that they need to contact us for that. But we do like to be kept in the loop. The other one is rent collection. I was getting like three invoices per week per tenant. And it was a bit annoying because when I was submitting my taxes and it was just all over the place and I couldn't take track of payments. So I changed in our terms of contracts just to be paid out. On the last day of the month or the first day of the month, depending on when they pay, so everything is just concise, and I don't want to be wasting my time reading several different invoices and payment slips and things like that. And I guess the other one is like small refurb's as well. In one of my properties, so the one that I own, I think, I don't quote me on this because I don't know what the exact amount is, but I think anything under fifty pounds they can just go and spend. That it, if it's a tap or Something little needs to be fixed and stuff like that. They don't need to contact me about that. Anything over £50, pounds, then they have to have my say-so before they start replacing things. Yeah, just trying to like filter and process a lot of things where it's easy for everyone that they don't have to keep contacting me, essentially, because that's the last thing I want. That's why I employ agency, because I don't want to be bombarded with, with little things like that.
0: Of course, we work with letting agents. And and one thing that creates discussion at the beginning is always the uh, spending caps. But I think when landlords understand why they exist, they appreciate that. You know, it's, it's also to save them from being bothered at random hours. Useful insights. I'm conscious that we've already taken a lot of your time. So I'm going to ask you the closing question we ask all our guests. If you're being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you?
1: what would impress me do you know what I hate reading things as in like long documents I'm just not one of those people who do it my business partners just thought that I'm like here we've bought a contract can you please read it and figure it out because I don't understand half of it or I ask someone specific or I can ask my solicitor or anything like that and I'd get them to do it just because I just can't do it if you can fit a contract into one page and bullet point everything just so it's basically an idiot's guide that's what impresses me and people have done that they've bulleted obviously like sometimes you can't put contracts into one page because there's so many other things and teas and seeds and stuff like that but the main heads of terms just keep it clear and concise it doesn't need to be filtered with a thousand nice words so that's just it for me that stands out you've got to make it idiot proof unless it needs to go to a solicitor (laughs)
0: That's a very good answer and something that legislate, we're definitely trying to do both with the questions and answers, simple language for the contracts, but we're also in the process of introducing a visual representation of contracts, which is something which doesn't exist in the market and hopefully will engage people because one thing we do notice across our user base is not everyone reads their contracts and that is a pity.
1: The other thing is. If there is a system, which I think you guys do as well when I've spoken to you before, is if I'm trying to say something, I'm not the best at English. and didn't get an A-star in in GCSEs, and I definitely didn't take it further. <laughs> but a lot of people sit not of the A-star grade in terms of English, especially when you leave school and things like that. Writing down sentences, but then there's a way to simplify it, but put it into a legal contract with all the fancy words in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we definitely take care of the whole process of Writing for everyone.
1: Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Without having to pay thousands for a lawyer.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Great. Thank you very much, Radhika, for being on the show and best of luck growing your portfolio and hopefully we can have you on again.
1: Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you.